Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Just like that, the final hour is here for the Monday edition of Outkick 360. Glad you're with us. Hutton and Withrow with you. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Always great when we can head to Pate State. Josh Pate joins us. 24-7 sports. Never a bad day. No, never. Never a bad day when we go never. to Pate State. Uh, Late Kick Live is where you can find Late Kick Josh on social. Josh, good to see you, man. Yeah, I can just about see you guys out of the window behind me. Yeah, we're waving so, um, at you right now. Yeah, well, there, there I'm, I'm waving in your direction right now. There you go. Yeah, got you. You, you probably see us. If I yell really loud, we don't even need all the technology. <laughs> you are back from Indianapolis. Best conversation, best thing you saw. It could be anything. What's your number one headline from Indy at the Combine? It occurred to me, as it does this time every year, that a lot of people who cover the NFL do not watch college football. They see highlights of it, but That's they really don't true. watch college very football. Very true. So... I, I've talked to like, I kid you not, half a dozen people about this today already, just private conversations. And it's about Anthony Richardson. And then we're walking that tightrope right now of a guy being hyped a lot. And maybe he'll fulfill on all that hype. I would say statistically, he's more likely not to fulfill on it. And then you're going to get the same folks who built the hype bubble calling him a failure instead of themselves. And I just, I, I listen to the NFL folks get wowed by the fact that he's a physical alien. And that shouldn't have surprised anyone because we already knew that. Anyone who claims they watch college football already knew that. We've already seen this guy shine in non-football related situations. And it was called spring and summer of 2022, a fall camp in 2022. That's all you heard out of Florida. Well, then we got to the season and he had like seven games where he was under 60% completion percentage. Again, that's the player he is. So if you build him up and build him up and build him up because of what he's doing at the combine in dry fit shorts, that's on you. And I, I didn't think that in the entirety of America was going to fall into that trap, but apparently we have. So I'm pulling for him. I got nothing against Anthony Richardson. Love that guy. We got him for like 10 minutes to ourselves on set. I think his calves are as big as some people's actual torso, by the way, <laughs> just like a total alien. But I am very, I'm very interested in the group of people that tells me Hendon Hooker's like a day three guy and Will Levis and Anthony Richardson are like the future of organizations. That always befuddles me a little bit. Well, I'm glad you brought up Hendon Hooker because all he did since he was named the starter at Tennessee was produce consistently over and over again. And uh, we had Mike Renner on from Pro Football Focus. Did a great job with us, but you talked about, you know, pro football guys oftentimes won't watch a lot of college football. I asked him about Hendon Hooker and he said, well, he's in a gimmicky offense. And then I asked, well, Tangibly, what do you not like about him? And I listed height, weight, velocity, accuracy, deep balls. Like, well, I like all those things. And that's sort of where we are, right? With with Hendon Hooker, with a lot of people is, yeah, but he was in Josh Heupel's offense, so how good is he really? Because everyone's going to put up numbers in that offense. What do you think, Josh, when you hear that argument about Hendon Hooker? Well, it's 
the argument itself is lame. I'm not speaking about a specific person, but the argument itself is lame because you got to be able to do better than that. If you've got a fully formed opinion on a guy, you should be able to do the same thing that I do. If you ask me about moon pie, I don't like moon pies. I think they're they're just a hot circle of garbage. I can tell you why I feel that way. Hendon Hooker, a lot of people are speaking about him the way I speak about moon pies. But yet, just as you said, when you make them dive deep on it, they say, well, he played in an offense. Well, I'm not drafting his offense. I'm drafting him. And if I'm drafting him second or third round, I may not be drafting him to start immediately. So if I have any organization worth its salt, should I not be able to develop him? That's a rhetorical question I would ask myself. So I asked a bunch of people up there because, you see, I don't live in the mock draft world. I live in college football world. And so sometimes when I see guys shining at the college level, I just assume the NFL is enamored with them. And apparently they're not with Hendon Hooker. So that's fine. We've had great college quarterbacks before that didn't do a lot in the pro game. I just want to know, like you just asked, what is it specifically about him? And other than a surgery and age, I haven't really had someone tangibly put in front of me an argument that makes me go, oh, yeah, all right, you're right. He'll probably flame out. Josh Pate with us. Is Will Anderson the best non-quarterback in this draft? And if not, who is? Now, yes, I'm saying yes. But it's not a slam dunk. Yes. I, you know what I wonder about that I, I have no clue how to answer this. The, Bama had some games last year. Texas was one of them. I was at that game where Will Anderson, just like from the neck up, false start or, or, or offside after offside mm. penalty, it felt like he was like mentally a little rattled. And there were a couple of times this year where he spoke publicly about how uh, I just think we had some anxiety going into that game. And sometimes, I can understand that from a quarterback. Like, I can understand that from certain positions. An edge rusher saying that kind of stuff just stood out to me a little bit. It sounds like I'm speaking negatively about him. I'm giving you the reason why it's just kind of yes, right. a whispered, hushed yes, instead of a slam dunk yes. Because just as much as you remember 2022, you also have to remember 2021. And just as much as people knock Will Anderson for his 2022 you were judging him in entirely different categories That's than the right. rest of college football. Because if you judged him just heads up, apples to apples against the rest of the country, he was still the best edge rusher in the country, in my opinion. So I think he's going to be really good. It's all about fit, obviously, but I think he's really good. And yes, I would say probably best non-quarterback right now. Let's talk about another Will, Will Levis. So because we watch you know, all the Kentucky games, I, I think it's been very easy for those that love Will Levis to say, well, the offensive coordinator was bad. Look at the old offensive coordinator. The offensive line was bad. The receivers were worse without Wondell Robinson. And I keep going back to, Josh, if he's so good and he's a top five or ten pick, he had to elevate his team at some point this past year. And I just did not see that this past season with Will Levis. What do you make of his overall career at Kentucky and where you see him in line with some of these other quarterbacks that are getting ready to get drafted? I keep going back to what you just said. I've said it about him and Richardson. If if you are telling me a guy is worthy of a top 10 draft pick, that means as a quarterback, he is supposed to be a multi-year franchise caliber quarterback. That That is my understanding of how the draft works. And so if a guy is that, he's pretty transcendent at the college game. And it doesn't, by transcendent, I mean Cam Newton 2010. You surround him by otherwise with otherwise average athletes that you don't remember the names of. No one remembers anyone else from that 2010 Auburn team offensively. You remember one in Cam Newton, and that was good enough to win Auburn a national title because Cam Newton was that good. 
I never saw Will Levis take over a game. Quite the opposite. I saw I saw a game take over Will Levis. At one of them happened in the very state in which we sit right now. I watched games take over Anthony Richardson and uh, the Kentucky game. We're talking about Levis and Kentucky. They went down to Gainesville in week two when all that hype had built after Florida beat Utah in week one. Richardson had no clue where the ball was going in week two. And likewise, Kentucky won the game. What cause Will Levis just took over anything? So I, I agree with you. I want to make an argument like I want to see all those guys do good. You get drafted top 10. I want you to shine. There's there's no one in this draft I'm pulling against. Some years there are, but this year, no, no one I'm pulling against. But I see it with Stroud. I see it with Young. I don't see it with any of those other guys, at least to the degree that it, it should be to be taken top 10. Josh, the uh, the proposed SEC schedule, uh, the three common opponents that was leaked or reported on or whatever uh, last week, <laughs> I, I just wish we would just come out and say, this is it. Because Sankey's already said he wanted to get this done before the spring meetings. Yeah, was this a test balloon to see so how we'd all react to it? Why do we, we have to it? test it? I mean, I think the common fan's just going to look at be like, okay, is Alabama playing ten- – oh, we're, playing, we're playing Auburn. Okay, cool. Let's turn this in. Like, uh, why, why the test balloon if, in fact, this is what they're voting on? I can't believe you guys are complaining about this. What are you complaining for? This is a godsend. I actually have my phone Go right ahead. now propped up on a stack of paper plates because that's how professionally I right, roll over right. here. But yep. it, it's, like, it's like God has taken one of these plates, turned it into silver, flipped it upside down, and said, here's some stuff to talk about. Yeah. I'm all for but there's the no problem. There's no February problem. and March. I don't see any problem with it, though. That's the issue. They didn't. They should have left Auburn off of Alabama's schedule and then change it when they get down to Florida. Do you see a problem with any of the, the trios that are out there of common opponents? I thought, listen, it was a good thing that Auburn's got changed because if they were drawing Bama, Georgia, and who was it, LSU every year, that yeah. was going to be a disaster. Um, I, I talked to someone with Bama today. And they still think if they bang that drum loud enough, they may be able to get that, that LSU every year changed. And I get from a fundamental standpoint, I get what they're saying because I'd make the same argument as them. That yeah. model the SEC is using thinks Tennessee's terrible. And Nick Saban's over there like, wake up. They're not bad anymore. You can't do this to me. I thought, I, by the way, I was told for a long time Nick Saban ran the conference. I was told that all the decisions ran through Tuscaloosa. And all of a sudden, he goes on vacation for a week. <laughs> it's it's like in our office. They set up an entire ping pong tournament when I went out of town. Nick Saban goes out of town for a week. They just changed the schedule hey, on him. Josh, if he gets that thing changed, though, he does run the conference. Because no one else is getting that schedule changed. And he's the one that's banging the drum about, <laughs> oh, it's so unfair. All these na- multiple national championships I've won. And they can't possibly give me Tennessee every year. If he actually gets that changed, I, I, I think there's some truth to those rumors about him having a direct line to the SEC office. Well, now you've put everyone in a no-win situation because either Nick Saban's mad at the conference or the conference is in bed with Nick Saban, and either way, it just it ends poorly for some people. Of course, it ends great for us because either way is a win for us. Um, is it a win that Arch Manning is competing for the starting job with Quinn Ewers in, in spring practice? That is what Sarkeesian has said, and how – how long does Sarkeesian have before he's told to put Manning in if things go awry early on? See, I think they're going to redshirt him. And yeah. that's coming from inside Texas. I mean, that's within the past couple of weeks. Granted, it was before – man, it got really dark in here. That was before <laughs> spring ball started. But there, there are people around the Texas program that feel like he's best suited to redshirt this year. That's contingent on Quinn Ewers definitively winning the job, obviously. Um, but just because Quinn Ewers wins the job – 
I think we all understand how the season would go out there. Oh yeah, Quinn Ewers if he does if he does win the job, it's good until you lose. It's like it at A and M. Petrino's the offensive coordinator. Yeah, he's the play caller, and it's fine until they go into the half and they've got six points on the board. And then the head man's got to make a decision. Is he going to take control of the offense? At Texas, head man's got to make a decision. Is he going to pull the trigger on Arch Manning? I think that's going to be a year-long thing. I, If I had to bet, I think Quinn Ewers is going to be the guy there. He'll put it together and they'll have a good season. And look, for all we know, Texas in year three under Sark could do exactly what FSU did in year three under Norvell. You give it a little time. And eventually you acquire enough talent, get some good line of scrimmage talent, which they did not have when he got there. Maybe Texas goes goes pop in year three. Josh, you're the perf- perfect person to ask this question. Based on recent events, last season combined with this offseason, who needs to win the most early in this season in the SEC? My vote is Florida. Based on everything this offseason with Jaden Rashada, with the way year one went with Billy Napier, even though they've recruited well, and not that he's in trouble in year two, but I feel like that's a program they need to see some good things on the field for that fan base and everyone around it. What what do you think of all the? And there's other candidates out there, obviously, but what program needs to win the most this year for whatever criteria, whatever reason you want to throw out there? Florida's a good one. Uh, since you took Florida, though, I got to go Texas A&M. Because that's that that's legitimate. We gave you time. You tried it your way. It wasn't working. Now you've hired a coordinator, and we gave you free reign, bottomless checkbook, etc. And you you circled the guy that you thought was best suited for the job. Um, we we had late kick last night, and our stats and info department came to me with a stat that's crazy. So listen to this: out of the top 100 recruits they've ever landed, 26 of them are on the roster right now. Out of the top 10 recruits all time they've landed five of the top 10 are on the roster right now and that's after they lost a bunch of kids this this last cycle so talent's not the issue certainly fan engagement and passion money none of that's the issue it's on Jimbo Fisher so we knew Anthony Richardson was going to be the talk of the combine I feel like South Carolina is going to climb the ladder and get the buzz that Kentucky received a year ago am I crazy for that and if, if it's a foregone conclusion that that's going to happen, what should be the warning sign for fans this offseason? Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Arkansas had a lot of that last year. I know because yeah, I, contributed, yeah. I contributed healthily to that we, wave. We did moment. too. Yeah, we, we loved it. So um, I, the way that works, by the way, using the, dra- the mock draft world um, analogy is Arkansas is a bust. It wasn't our fault. They were just a bust. <laughs> right. That's how that works. I think South Carolina will have that, and with good reason. They've overachieved two years in a row. Um, you just start to get into this this a little more rarefied air now where the expectation kind of starts at nine wins. And if you're Alabama, that's nothing. If you're Georgia, that's nothing. You're South Carolina. You're starting the expectation meter in the eight-and-a-half or nine-win range. That is That is totally inverting the model, and it wasn't too long ago. I mean, we're talking about in the last – 12 to 24 months where it looked like they were in the wilderness in their own state. No one saw that win against Clemson coming the way it did. And it was on the road in Death Valley and they had, they had already gotten a big win against Tennessee. I thought that South Carolina had completed the successful portion of their season. Then they just go beat Clemson. And so what did you do there? 
you you accomplished something, but then you get the consequences of that success. And now all of a sudden, people think that you start where you left off last year. And that's not the case. You start from scratch every year. You don't you don't start with a, with with the with the beginning point of, all right, well, we'll beat Clemson again this year. We'll win at least eight games this year. Now, what will we stack on top of that? You got to start over every year. And Spencer Rattler's got to be a really good quarterback. And you got to replace some of these guys you lost in the portal. And your line of scrimmage talent has got to upgrade. And your perimeter skill talent has got to elevate to a different level. So there's a whole lot of stuff that we could watch in spring. And you start to get the whispers and rumblings in fall camp. That They still got a ways to go. It's just I think they're ahead of schedule in that journey. Best interview from Indianapolis and why? Uh, Keon White is a player from Georgia Tech. And Keon White fascinated me because he's a microcosm of how inexact the recruiting industry is. This is a guy who comes out of high school. He's like 6'5", 220. And he's a tight end. He's a two-star tight end that he goes to Old Dominion. Now, fast forward. He is a 6'5", 285-pound edge rusher being mock drafted in the first round. And you could look at him one of two ways. You can either say, ooh, the recruiting industry whiffed on him. Or you could say there is no metric out there that foresees an 80 or 70-pound weight gain and position change coming at the college level. That, that just It is a case study of how physical and mental maturation is sometimes very much ongoing. It is in the process of happening when you come out of high school. And he was really open about it. Like he, he said, man, I was a two-star out of high school. But he wasn't saying it like I had this massive chip on my shoulder. He was almost saying it like, can you believe I weigh 280 pounds now? This is crazy. So he's a, he's a really good uh, dude to talk to. And then we got all the big names through there. Um, CJ Stroud was really good. I know he got caught a lot of flack for his favorite player comps. But otherwise... Other than the Mike Vick, Deshaun Watson comment, I thought he was really insightful, really open, really honest. Uh, most of those guys were. Levis came in there and wasn't even wearing socks. He was just wearing sandals. That stood out to me as well. <laughs> Straight from the shower or the sauna yeah. for Will Levis. Josh Pate has been our guest, uh, host of Late Kick Live, 24-7 Sports and CBS uh, for their college football coverage. Always great. Check him out tonight at the channel on YouTube. Uh, Josh, thank you, man, so much for the time as always. I appreciate it, guys. All right. There's uh, Pate State. Josh Pate has been our guest. Coming up, we uh, head to the story with the Washington Commanders. To sell or not to sell? That's the question. We all wait on Daniel Snyder's answer. But Front Office Sports has been following this very closely. A.J. Perez joins us next with the very latest. And his report on Friday prompted the Commanders to issue a late-night statement on Friday evening. That's next on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Outkick 360, glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. 
AJ Perez joins us from Front Office Sports, a senior reporter at uh, the great site that prompted a late-night statement from the Washington Commanders on Friday. I took a screenshot. I'm like, this, this is interesting because I haven't seen the statement from the Commanders on a previous report uh, and revolving around Daniel Snyder blocking Jeff Bezos. And now it seems we're at a stalemate on whether or not Snyder's going to sell the franchise. I feel like you've done your job as a reporter whenever you prompt a late-night statement from a team. And and that's what our next guest has done. AJ has done that. Uh, AJ, thank you for the time. And when you saw it, we're we're showing the statement from the commanders now, but they specifically mentioned Front Office Sports Tonight posted a blatantly false report regarding the ongoing process involving a potential commander's transaction. And... it goes on to go through some other things that they get into on the quote-unquote transaction. But what do you think when the commanders released the late-night Friday statement? Yeah, I was on my couch watching a movie with my wife, and I'm like, uh, whoa, okay, I got to work again. Um, so, yeah, I, decided, I had a text that to our CEO, our CFO, and my editor, and we uh, – and yeah, it was – yeah, that was the third statement off of, a, of, off of a report last week. You know, the first one was the Washington Post report last Monday night that was on – the identification, what Dan Snyder looking to the leak to cover his potential, any kind of fines or anything out of these investigations that are ongoing. Second one was a little more muted on the next day when ESPN reported on uh, more information on the subpoena that we reported on days prior about the federal investigation and uh, what they were looking at, including uh, issues over a $55 million line of credit. So that was more of a muted statement. Then we got that one, which uh, was on letterhead because I, Gonna, I'm going to, this is my analysis. I have no sources on this, but uh, uh, someone asked me on Monday after the ES, I'm sorry, after the Washington Post story came out and uh, asked if it was on letterhead. And I, and I responded on Twitter, no, uh, no, no, no letterhead. Um, and I got a text from somebody at the commanders within 10 minutes about that tweet. Um, so wow. mine was on letterhead. So that was, uh, that was uh, interesting. Was the movie that was interrupted any good that you were watching with your wife? Oh man, it it was all right. We had a small, like, we we had a pause it for thirty minutes. I can't remember what it was. We watched a couple movies since. It was some Netflix movie. Um, so um, can't remember off the top of my head if uh, what that one was. Let let's let's go back a little bit on all this because the number one question we always get when talking about this story, AJ, is, well, how can someone make you sell something that you mm-hmm. own? And uh, someone yes. brought up the analogy of, what if your homeowners association came in and said. You know, Chad, you got to go. You got to sell your home. We're making you sell it. And and my response was, well, if I signed something with a homeowners association that locked me in to something that where they could vote me out, I would be mad at myself. So, can yes. you kind of take us through the charter with the NFL and what can yeah. happen here where someone is forced to sell? So every it doesn't matter who you are in the NFL, whether you're a player and a team employee, league employee. Or team owner, you're when you you're you are the whole the whole conduct detrimental. Yeah, you're you're subject to it, no matter who you are. And when you when you become an owner, you sign you know basically you sign the agreement, you sign all the paperwork with the NFL that puts you, um, you know that 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 spill it out under the league bylaws, which I covered today, and it's very I'm not saying it's the most interesting thing in the world to read, but it, I took I took my readers through today about a thousand words of you know the. Well, my story is about a thousand words too, but how the process works has never, it's never been used before um, because uh, while other leagues like in major league baseball with Frank McCord and Marge shot and NBA, obviously with, with the, with the uh, Clipper situation with uh, Sterling and obviously Bomber bought the team, you know, it, it has been used in other sports and not the NFL. And it's very, it's a very, 
uh, and it's there's there's some details on how it would work. There's also a lot of questions, and I kind of delve into that today. Where you know you, this is why it's really never been used. It's very very onerous. It's very it's it takes there's a pretty high standard to throw somebody out because well I've been been told this by you know, owners and everybody else around the league for the last well several months many many months before the sale was announced in, in November. You know they don't want to set a precedent because they don't want it to boomerang on them because these franchises are supposed to be held for generations. This will be passed down. Uh, Goodell's uh, one of his mandates a few years ago, kind of he wants to solidify the the uh, succession plan for a team to avoid what happened, what nearly happened in New Orleans with the Saints and what did happen with the uh, Denver Broncos. They they want this to be as seamless as possible, and they don't want to you know complicate it by. Throwing out owners every few years, where they don't—it's these teams are worth so much money. You know, it's it. This is like that's that's pretty much it. You know, this is why one of the reasons why this is dragging out is because of those bylaws and the thirty percent rule, where you have to have thirty percent liquid, basically thirty percent cash, as part of a purchase when you when you buy an NFL team. That's another reason this is dragged out. AJ Perez, our guest from Front Office Sports. So this feels like someone that is. And I, a typical leadership role where you're trying to get someone to do something, but you make it their idea, and then they end up doing it. Whoever, yeah, Daniel, it, whoever yeah. Daniel Snyder sells it to, the NFL, collectively, the owners, want it to be as though it was Dan Snyder's idea, and he certainly doesn't feel that with Bezos. Who else is in on the bidding, and what's the best offer that you've, you've heard of, reported on, mm-hmm. that they've actually received versus what he wants? Yeah, this process is still ongoing, and there's been not a lot of news coming from the team. Uh, although in that statement, we got the word transaction, which was kind of the new one. Um, so what, it looks like it's headed to at least a, a majority, if not a full sale of Dan Snyder. He basically owns the entire team. Uh, maybe a small percent is, hel- is held by others uh, within his family. Um, so he has control over this process. He can take as long as he wants. Though I reported last Monday before uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these other reports came out. That the, that the other owners were getting kind of antsy. They were kind of like, what's taking so long? Um, and, th- and this comes, you know, over the last many, many months before the sale even was announced, a potential sale. You know, there, 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 there were owners, there were people going to, you know, Snyder trying to, you know, hey, you know, we don't want to do the removal process. How about you, you know, think about selling the team, explore the sale, figure something out. Because there's been so much noise. And along with the team, obviously not having a lot of success over the last nearly 24 years as, as owner, you know, there's been you know, complicated by the scandals. And obviously, the, the Washington Post reporting a lot of them is why Jeff Bezos is uh, kind of not, you know, he's been at, held, held at arm's length so far, as far as we know. And he has been in, been in on the process. So uh, the, the two names, the highest bid that we know was Washington Post reported about 10 days ago, reported uh, Tillman Fertitta, the, the uh, Houston Rockets owner, uh, bid around $5.5 billion. That was the, the highest bid we have with the name attached to it. Uh, the other one um, is Josh Harris, and uh, the, he's a, the owner of um, the uh, Sixers and the, New- and, and the Devils and the, and the NHL. So those are the two names that we know that are non-Bezos, that, that, that are, have been involved in this process. Uh, Josh Harris has been involved in the process a long time. We know for, with 100% certainty through my sources and through The Athletic that he was one of the handful of potential owners who took a tour over here in Ashburn of the team headquarters and it's also thought that Tillman Fertitta also, um, also, uh, you know, toured the facility as well. We just don't have that. Um, we don't have that uh, confirmed. 
Imagine having 30% of $5.5 billion in an account somewhere to show the NFL that you're that <laughs> liquid, that you can make that happen. AJ Perez from Front Office Sports is our guest on Outkick 360. We always hear about, you know, with Bezos, obviously Snyder doesn't want to sell to him, but we always hear about guys or owners that a leagues don't want to be in the club and don't want to be in the league. Is there someone out there that through your reporting, AJ, that you continually hear that the NFL wants to get into their club, that they want this person to eventually be an owner of a club? Yeah, Robert Kraft, uh, probably about three weeks ago, Robert Kraft said some really nice things about Bezos. I think overall, the, the um, you know, the, what I'm hearing from the owners I talk to and others around the league is that, you know, Jeff Bezos is, would be welcomed in. It's a very, it is uh it is hard getting to become an, become an NFL owner. Isn't easy. Not only do you have to make a ton of money and have a ton of money in the bank, like you said, having that, you know, 1.5 to $2 billion sitting around your checking account for that 30%. Uh, not that really happens. That's why, you know, it's, you have to divest certain things and no one has that much cash, no matter how rich you are. Um, but it's not just that it's like, you know, who they feel comfortable with and who they, who they uh, and um, and we saw that play out with the Carolina Panthers when uh, you know uh, Dave Tepper was you know I've my sources and I've heard this uh, reported else, I've seen it reported elsewhere where he wasn't the highest bidder but they felt you know he was the most straightforward because if he has he had the resources he had the cash um, that you know there's always questions about getting not only buying the team but this team's going to take need another at least two to three billion dollars toward a new stadium and probably closer to three to five billion sorry three to four billion. Because they need a new stadium. A FedEx is 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 outdated. There's you know you could build a stadium next to that one. Um, that's the, the easiest route. But RFK, you know, getting back to where they were you know, back when the glory days of the team, that's where everybody wants. And to get there, that's going to be a big chunk of change and probably probably no public financing of that. And in even even in Maryland or Virginia, public financing is going to be going to be a stretch. Obviously, a change of ownership will will would, would help that effort. When the owner of the, the of the Seahawks, Paul Allen, passed away, it went to his trust. But all of his mm-hmm. money, not all, practically all, is going to be donated to charity through his will. They're going to end up selling the Seattle Seahawks mm-hmm. after a certain amount of time. Many think it's next year. Th- whatever happens in Washington is going to benefit ownership because that will be the new bar. And Bezos, yes. hypothetically, theoretically, he's already going to go through the gauntlet of the background check that the NFL does, and he's going to be already included in that. So I would think he's totally fine if he just wants a franchise. He's totally fine going through all of the, you know, the details now to get in the mix for that franchise. Now, if he wants Washington, it's a different story. Definitely, yeah. There's the barriers for him if Seattle goes on the market in the next couple of years, way less. I mean, you're going to have... You have somebody with with even stronger ties to the Seattle area where Amazon was founded uh, to where here. While while Bezos owns the Washington Post, he has a huge house in D.C., one of the most expensive houses uh, in the district. And uh, the the second the, the the second headquarters or HQ two for for um for Amazon, even though he's no longer the CEO, is right across the Potomac in in Virginia. So um you know there's all there's you know there. He has ties to both, but going, you know, it'd be a much straight, uh, much more straightforward path, and you don't need a new stadium right away in Seattle. They're they're pretty well set, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, and uh, you know, this is a this 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 franchise is kind of like you can see it as a fixer upper. It's you know, it's 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 was a top five franchise, maybe even top three franchise when he bought it. Uh, revenue streams were great. Now we've seen the stadium shrink by about twenty thousand during his during his time as ownership. They've uh, 
you know, they've uh, put tarps over a lot of the stadium, a lot of the seats in the upper deck um, and attendance has declined. Uh, other revenue streets, other revenue has, has also declined. There's a lot of work to do here, but this is the, the, the NFL, you know, needs DC to succeed. Um, you know, wants it to succeed because it's right now it's, it's kind of languished. So do you think Bezos is winning in this no matter what, right? Because of who he is and the money that he has and everything else. But is there a scenario where he views winning as being blocked in some way by Daniel Snyder and ultimately getting what he covets all along, which is the Seattle Seahawks instead of the Washington Commanders? Yeah, it's looking more that way. I mean, uh, there's been reports the last couple of weeks about, you know, really heating up the reports about uh, Dan Snyder does not want to sell to Bezos. And I have not, my sources said that I haven't used the word blocked or barred like others have, but there is very, I've used reluctance. There's a very strong reluctance and there's people around the league, some other owners, especially um, that, that are trying to, you know, you know, broker a deal. But I don't even, at, at that point, at, at this point, I think uh, we're going to see most likely somebody besides Bezos, the way the the way I've seen you know these reports come out, including by today by Matthew Barry over at NBC Sports. I think there's it's just headed that way. It just there's so much reluctance towards Bezos that it's probably going to you know go to somebody else unless uh, unless things change. Um, and uh, Bezos hired a um, the banking firm Allen and Company, which handled the last two NFL transactions for the Broncos and also for the Carolina. Panthers uh, to help him, but even that it's been it seems like uh, it's treading towards somebody beyond besides Jeff Bezos at this point. AJ Perez, front office sports, with uh, switching gears. We we were talking earlier of, of Charlie Gasparino's uh, report on Fox Business of Adam Silver in the mix. He's on a very short list of three to take over for Bob Iger at Disney whenever he steps down and retires two years from now. Can you help us? connect the dots with the NBA commissioner and now he would head up the world's largest media company. Yeah. This is all goes back to how, why Bob Iger left and returned like he did. Um, Bob Chipak was, uh, you know, he didn't really develop the, his successor. So Bob Chipak was, 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 was brought in from the theme park side. Um, and, uh, and that really didn't really work out a lot of uh, kind of, you know, when you have, when you have a media business, when you have two, when you have multiple streaming services between Hulu, ESPN Plus, and Disney Plus, yeah, you need somebody that on the entertainment side. And obviously, uh, um, that the the NBA with Silver, it's uh, it's a very interesting, um, you know, very interesting prospect. And we don't know when Bob Iger is going to retire again, step away again. But uh, yeah, there's uh, uh, Doug Greenberg, uh, my coworker, was able to uh, yeah, verify that. And um, yeah, there 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 is interest there, and it's going to be. It's kind of a little early, I think, um, because I don't, Bob Iger is probably going to be around for a few more months, several more months. But he, he needs to get that, you know, that next guy lined up, and uh, and he's going to be a little more hands on this time in uh, in picking and developing that uh, next candidate. I find it interesting. Just we see often now with, especially in college football and the the conferences, they're going more to the media guys who have been running companies to come in and run sports. Uh, I'm surprised. This would be the opposite. The exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, yes. That's why I find it intriguing that they're going to the NBA commissioner as one of three names mentioned. One of the other ones in is in, in, internal, I believe, and the other one's actually in media and you know uh, movies and film. But as you guys cover, AJ, it's all kind of the same, yeah. right? Entertainment and sports. Yeah. If you're running one, it's all about getting eyeballs for both sides. Yeah, because uh, right now it's like we're within a couple of years the NBA the NBA uh, contracts would be up with ESPN and Turner and uh, a lot of talk about NBC wanted to come back into the fold. 
Um, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, you know, the NBA is going to be fine. Uh, you know, it's obviously Silver Five, arguably the best commissioner in pro sports right now. Um, so it's going to be hard to replace them, but, uh, it, but it's, you know, live sports programming is still in demand and will be demand in for several more years, especially for broadcasts. They're going to get, they're, they're still going to command top dollar. Now, will that change? Like the, like the NFL uh, contracts are up in 10 years. Will that, what will it look like then? What will the media market look like then? You know, we're already seeing the streaming take over Thursday night football being the exclusive home of, uh, on, on, um, on, on Amazon. So there, we could be heading more streaming, obviously, but you know, this you know, live sports programming for broadcast TV and for cable is still, still a major draw. AJ, based on the information you have, just tying back in with Washington, either way, he either sells it on his own or he's forced to sell and he's voted out. Either way, he's, we're looking at a, an owner and Daniel Snyder is going to get five and a half to $7 billion. Do you think he's the yes. owner by September, by the time the kickoff happens for the commanders? Or do you think we actually get down a path where Snyder's no longer a part of the NFL storyline? I think uh, if it goes in more than a couple more months, I think uh, the actual move towards removal will start. And it's not an easy one. It's not the one the NFL owners want to do. It's not the one Goodell wants to do. Uh, you know, they, they, they want Snyder to, to you know, come, up, come up with his own success you know, with the next owner himself. Take a bid, uh, make sure, you know, there's always a possibility if the bids, if Bezos for some reason comes in, we know there's a bid for like, let's say $7 billion, hypothetically. Right. And he sells to one of the others, Fatita, Harris, or somebody else we don't know at this point for like $6.2 billion, $8 billion different. It's an $800 million difference, which is hard to, <laughs> hard to imagine. <laughs> but yeah, that, that they could actually, the owners could actually, uh, could actually vote that down. And then we're starting back at square one. That's very unlikely. I think, uh, uh, I think we're, I think they're going to, you know, there's not going to be a big disparity in the bids. And if they're up it, and if, if there is, you know, I, it, long as it's not a huge one, it's going to, I'm not going to sail through, but it's going to be, it's going to be examined by the NFL finance committee. It's going to be voted on. It takes 24 votes to approve, just like it takes mm-hmm. 24 votes to remove. So, and they're going to go from there. AJ, great, great stuff, man. We always, we're referencing the site quite a bit, the emails and all that with all the breaking news from the business side of this. This is uh, something to follow. I think we know change is happening. I think it's going to be on Snyder's terms. I may be wrong, but I think the owners don't want to set a precedent of getting voted out themselves, especially the guy negotiating with Snyder, who is Jerry Jones. There you go. Uh, AJ, (laughs) appreciate it as always. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, AJ Perez, front office sports senior reporter. Uh, and he's been covering this uh, a lot with the commanders and back and forth. And again, Washington, the franchise, released a statement based on a report from A.J. Perez. Chad, I, d- I don't know if any statements were made from Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but there was a brawl, WWE style, but better in the XFL. Someone made a statement, just not The Rock. Message was sent. Yeah. <laughs> For once, it wasn't The Rock making a statement. Someone else. Next on OutKick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
AJ McCarron is playing in the XFL, believe it or not. He was really upset with the officials post-game as the St. Louis Battlehawks took on the DC Defenders on Sunday. Outkick 360 rolls on. So McCarron dropped back in the pocket. He was sacked on the play, and it was a game that had been chippy throughout the entire game. And then all hell broke loose. The stories at outkick.com. Players from both teams converged on each other, started pushing, shoving, punching, scratching, scratching. It was not just a little scuffle. It's it was not, a full-blown full melee with haymakers flying and then the helmet that was just launched to the moon, as we can see right here on uh, our live streaming coverage from D Loves Sports. Um, yeah, quite the fight that you don't... These, this trumps anything I've seen in training camp with some of the fists that were thrown with helmets off, ripped off first. My favorite part of the fight when you watch the actual the ESPN broadcast is the whoever's calling it says, this is not, this is not what the XFL is about. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, yes, it is. It's about anything you're we run, want it to be. You're run by a wrestler. Like, this is great. I'm watching, I'm thinking, this is, this, if it's not what the XFL oh. is about, it should be about this. <laughs> This is the most I've been interested in the XFL so far. Was this brawl? It's just, it was so funny. Like I just uh, they were appalled by well, what was going on. This then, is not what this league is about. I'm thinking, no, you need the Undertaker and Kane and the Rock to reunite on that yeah. field right now and start rock bottoming people left and yeah, right. Tombstone to hell. That's what I'll watch. <laughs> I mean, this was terrific. This is absolutely what the league needs to be I mean, about. The walls of Jericho put on AJ McCarron. <laughs> Break the wall down. <laughs> need all they, those guys back out of this. So the can you imagine if Chris Jericho was one of the coaches? <laughs> he had different WWE guys, and it's not far. Val like, Venus coaches DC Defenders. I don't know how many people nowadays look at The Rock as a wrestler anymore, but even if he'll you always don't, be a wrestler. To even me. if you don't, it was still owned by Vince McMahon, not once but twice, and then right. it folded, and then The Rock purchased it. Two DC players ejected, one for picking up a penalty flag and throwing it back. <laughs> and then the St. Louis player who threw the helmet. I just laughed. Look, I, this is no criticism of the brawl. I thought it was entertaining. Oh. And everything that happened. I'm just, it's funny that this is not at all what we're going to be about and here then, at the XFL. But thinking, he, here's the thing, it, though. It's what you're about. It's what you should be about. So, USFL, the hub is in Birmingham in year one, right? Everyone plays in Birmingham. In the XFL, you're in Dallas, that's your hub, that's the headquarters, and then you fly to your cities, the host sites. So both of these teams, after that brawl, had to get on the same plane and fly back to Dallas. And that also sounds very WWE to me. It, yes. They need to get film of that. They're yeah. talking trash Baby to each other. Baby faces in the front, lines. hills in the back. Yeah. Okay, all DC defenders, please. You're going to be rows <laughs> 1 through 40, and then the St. Louis Battlehawks will be in the back of the plane. Just terrific. I, I, I love it. Need more of that. Chad, I saw the headline today. Jay Wright is going to be on the CBS broadcast for the NCAA tournament, starting with the selection show. I love this. Yeah. Love this. He's going to be, I'm sure, a part of the studio also with all those guys with, on uh, Turner. Yeah. And CBS. So Jay Wright, first off, should still be coaching somewhere. I agree. And he's maybe, you know, certainly top three. Of our lifetime, probably, he, in terms of head coaches. I mean, Villanova, And what he did at Villanova, multiple national blood. championships. With him there, they're a blue blood. Yeah. Now. And they certainly weren't before. I mean, they'd won a national championship before, one. But he's, he's one of the best. Great on television. Knew that when he was coaching also. So this is good news for coverage of the NCAA tournament. This week, to me, Hutton is all about 
Um, every night we're going to have multiple automatic qualifier you know, tournaments mm-hmm. where someone's going to win. That's what this week is about. It gets fun when the bigger conference tournaments start to watch some of those bubble teams try to play their way in. But I love this week for all of those. This is where March Madness starts to me. Those teams trying I, to win their way in. Win, and in some cases, you have to win. You're right. Win the and whole it's tournament. Already started. There's been yeah. five teams already. Win the whole tournament. Punch their ticket. By the way, we were tipped off to go ahead and bet Drake uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. We have who an insider who said, bet Drake. It's going to be an 8-9 game. And they'll, they'll win the 8-9 game. And my response was, Hutton, that I always take Drake. Always. It's one of my rules. If Drake's in the tournament, I'm taking them to win. Ole Miss and South Carolina will tip off the SEC tournament, which will be right here a block and a half from where we sit right now in Nashville. Uh, Wednesday's the start of the SEC tournament uh, with Ole Miss, South Carolina, LSU, and Georgia. But the real focus should be on the Thursday matchups that includes Tennessee, includes Auburn, Vandy, who's been red hot, lost one game since February. Uh, Mississippi State and Florida as well. Uh, Chad, this is a very wide open SEC tournament that we're about to watch. For sure. And look, to me, the most interesting couple teams there, there's really three right now you could say are on the bubble or close to it in the SEC. Mississippi State, Auburn, Vanderbilt. Vandy's the one with the most work to do. If they they avoid disaster and don't lose to LSU Mm -hmm. or Georgia, and if they can beat Kentucky on Friday, it's going to be interesting come Selection Sunday. And I think if they beat A&M the next day, they're in. Based on what happens around them, you know, a couple things may have to break their way, but if they can do that, they're probably going to get in. Auburn, I think, is probably in regardless. Mississippi State may have some work to do. They can't avoid, they have to avoid the awful loss for sure. And the thing I can't get away from is I believe the vast majority of the committee members already have their mind made up on these teams before they even tip off unless they win the tournament. There is a bracket that exists somewhere right now that's already filled out. And I hate that because these games matter. At least I want them to so much. Back at it tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern. This show matters. Right here on the Outkick Network for Outkick 360.